is Greener Grass, a podcast. We are your hosts, Carrie Wee and Kelly McVeigh. Today, we're so excited to have Woody Roseland with us. He is based in Denver. He's a filmmaker, photographer, and a cancer survivor. The interview starts with Kelly talking about the Pelotonia, which among other things, it's a non-problem organization, but the Pelotonia bike ride is a 200 mile bike ride in Columbus and it's to raise money for cancer research. Kelly's participated for many years and this is how she starts her story with Woody. Let's get started. Today's guest on Greener Grass, I have to say, I was really excited, but so you know, Woody, my dad was even more pumped about this and I'll share a little bit why, but um, you all know as listeners that I love people. I love learning about people. I followed Woody Roseland for, I don't even know how many years you probably know better than I, but we all know I rode in the Pelotonia the last six years. And the reason that we started doing the Pelotonia was because my dad's sister passed away from cancer. And my dad is the one that really got us all involved in the Pelotonia. And you were one of the very first couple of years, Woody. So you were the speaker, um, the keynote. And at the time, my daughter, who's now 20, crazy enough, her best friend in elementary school found out she had bone cancer and she lost her leg. So you were the keynote speaker at the very same time that that was going on. And so my daughter was you know, learning how to help Trinity or go through that process. And that was a big thing for them at that age. I want to say they were like probably in fourth or fifth grade and you were the speaker that year. So we obviously look, I just got goosebumps like a complete goof, but I, so we connected with following you, like learning a little bit more about you and the fact that you were in the speaker. I remember my dad and I riding that day. You were like the speaker on Friday night. And then we saw you riding and it was like, you were a celebrity, which obviously you are. That's why you're on greener grass today. But we were like, (laughs) there he is. He's riding in the Pelotonia. So that's how I started following you in general. And, you know, doing greener grass, we always look for guests that I feel like would be cool, would be inspirational, have a story. And just watching your Instagram and your life in the last few years, the direction that you took your life. And I, I want you to talk about the video and production. And um, I think you have a little bit of comedic background in there too. And so, mm-hmm. I was like, he has to be on. It was during the Pelotonia, like when I was getting ready to ride this year and we were like thinking through a list of people and I was like, oh my gosh, like I have to reach out to Woody. So that's how I felt like I needed to have you on. How many years ago would that have been when you were the keynote? Uh, Great question. I think it was 2013. I feel like that makes sense because through Pelotonia... I actually, in a roundabout way, ended up meeting my wife. And so we've been married for three years, but together for, I think we're coming up on eight. So that would make sense that like the first year I did Peloton was 2013. And I think 2014 was the year uh, I met uh, a, a very 
kind woman, nice lady named Lindsay. And we went on a couple dates and then it was like enough dates to be like, I think you're a great person, but I don't think we have a connection. And then we went on a double date and I met Mackenzie and I was like, Oh my goodness. We actually have like kind of a ton of stuff in common. And so very diplomatically, I had to, uh, uh, sever ties with uh, Lindsay, but it all worked out. Everyone's still friends, and so okay. I yeah. love I, I love that little bit of love story news because I mean, obviously, girls always fall for the love story. But I started this before we started recording and said your girlfriend's so hot because you do photography. I think love, passion, probably a part mm-hmm. of your everyday life, and you always take these amazing pictures of her. And you were like, we've been married for three years. So congratulations on that. But how did you, so double date for sure. But how yes. did Pelotonia bring you together? So I met Lindsay through Pelotonia. Okay. Uh, she was writing and um, she had just moved to Denver where I live. And so she was like, hey, I just moved to Denver. Like, I'd love to go on a ride sometime. And she's beautiful. And I was like, yes, absolutely. So we we hung out, went on a couple of dates, and uh, enough to you know, enough to be like, you know, not not quite that that spark. Um, and so met Mackenzie, and we hit it off right away. So I asked Lindsay. I was like, Lindsay and I had the conversation to be like, okay, this isn't. It's not necessarily in the stars. And she agreed. And uh, I think I was actually like kind of her like guy on the side at the time. Okay. (laughs) And so when I was like, this isn't working, she was like, yeah, no, this is, this is not working. So then I uh, waited like a week or two and then I messaged her and I was like, Hey, do you mind if I like hang out with Mackenzie? And she was like, no, go for it. So then uh, Mackenzie and I, started uh started seeing each other we were on like a couple dates and um uh she invited me over for dinner and so we like had like this big taco night at her house and it was like a great one-on-one date and then at the end i was like oh i'm gonna gonna make my move so i go to kiss her and she shut me down <gasps> and i was like down. i got shut down and so i was like in my head I had this, this thing where I was like, either we're like really good friends. We're just like pals. We're just like super good pals where there's like actual like attraction and chemistry. And so she shut me down and I was like, Oh, I guess we're just buddies. And I was like, dang, that, that sucks. So I ended up leaving and was kind of crestfallen. And then uh, the next day was my sister's birthday. So we went up to the mountains, took some photos, ran around. And I come home and I walk like I was living in this like really cool little walkable neighborhood. And I like walk up my like front porch and she's sitting on my front steps and like this beautiful sundress. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So then uh, it turns out that she was still kind of seeing the guy from the double date. She had never, you know, severed those. Yeah. And so she didn't want to, you know, so like such a, such a, you know, good, the right moral thing for her to do. But uh, since she showed up and, you know, we kissed and the rest is, the rest is history. And history still going on. I love this. I'm going to, now that I know the past story, like I'm really going to be obsessed with these 
beautiful pictures you take and you travel a lot, but your story, you grew up in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So born, born and raised in, uh, Aurora, Colorado. And, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer when I was 16, 17 years old. I was a junior in high school, uh, turned out to be osteosarcoma that showed up in my left knee. And so started chemotherapy and then ended up, uh, having a complete knee replacement. So I was able to keep the leg and then the cancer kept on returning. It actually came back seven different times. Um, and one of those times, uh, it came back in my, uh, knee again. And so I had to have my leg amputated. So I had my leg amputated in 2011, I believe. And, uh, then I eventually found a cancer treatment out of Baylor school of medicine in Texas, this experimental drug trial that ended up working 2014, 2015. So I've been cancer free since then. Yeah. And that's kind of the, the long and the short of my cancer story. That's amazing that you did an experimental treatment and that it worked. Yeah. The way chemotherapy works is it's kind of like uh antibiotics that once you do a specific you know type you kind of can't do it again and so i kept getting re-diagnosed and so they were kind of at the the end of the list the bottom of the barrel as far as treatment options went and so it was really like time to look at these different therapies. And so we found this one and I'll never forget. I talked to this doctor and he's showing me all these slides of it decreasing cancer in mice. And I was like, okay, well, how many, how many people have you done that have gone through this trial? And he said something like 28 or something. I was like, oh, that's not a very good number. How are they doing? And he's like, some are doing great. And you're like, oh, Cool. But it ended up being the the total right option and it worked like a charm. It was like an immunotherapy rather than a chemotherapy. So it kind of came at it from a different angle and just took care of it. I mean, I can't imagine being 16. Do you feel like that played a big role in your high school? Just like when you think back about high school or were you someone that it was like that was going on, but you we're living and doing all the things. I mean, I think when I was first diagnosed, I was super naive about the whole thing. Like, I think I never quite realized the gravity of it until I lost my leg. You know, I've always been a a sucker for cheap attention. And uh, I think when I got diagnosed with cancer, it was just like, yo, this is so much attention and so much recognition and appreciation that I was just like, this is great. This is so much fun. I'm just like a celebrity at school. And like, so I think that there was part of me that just was like, this is cancer is awesome. Like I get a missed class. And then it wasn't until I had my leg amputated and a couple other events where I was just like, Oh man, this is, this could kill me. You know, this could, this could be the end. And so then it was like, but that wasn't until I was in my twenties and a little bit more grown up. I like the, the real transparency and that you were like, bring it on. Like, this is, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that is so real. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, especially for a high school kid, like where your mindset is and you know what I mean? Maturity. I 
I remember I went and saw some doctor when I was first diagnosed and he was the one who gave me the news that you have chondroblastic osteosarcoma where they just start you on chemo. And this was going into my senior year of high school and I played football all throughout high school. And that was what upset me the most was that I wouldn't play football. Like that's where my head was at, which is yeah. like so absurd. It's like, who cares? Like, yeah. you know, you have cancer, you have a life threatening disease, but that was what I was like, no, not football. It's like, Woody, you're so dumb. Like yeah. uh, eyes on the real price here. Okay. And then did you feel like there was a shift, like losing your leg? Like, was that a hard transition? And, in lots of ways, physically, mentally, emotionally, like, or at that point it was saving you and you were just like, let's do it. The moment I was diagnosed with cancer, the possibility of losing my leg was discussed. So that when it finally happened, I think it was less, less traumatic than it could have been. Like I've met some people who lose their legs in like motorcycle accidents. And I feel like that must be an incredibly hard transition because you're, you know, walking around with two legs one day and then the next day you're not. And so for me, I feel like I kind of had this, this buffer period of a few years to mentally prepare myself for that. But still, you know, I was re So the cancer ended up coming back. I had my leg amputated and I had to start, I think it was like a 12 to 14 months of chemotherapy. And so I ended up moving back in with my dad. And so I'm in my early twenties, all my friends are graduating college, starting their professional careers. And I'm living with my dad in Aurora, just like no car, no leg. Like, like at that point, I didn't even have a prosthetic leg yet. because you have to wait a significant amount of time for like the swelling to go down. And so that was like a super difficult period of my life for sure. Yeah. I feel like the mobility, like for Trinity, they took her foot. And her heel is her kneecap. Oh, they did a rotation plasty. Yes. How is that for her? Because I know that like the functionality is supposed to be pretty good. Yeah. I mean, she's super mobile. Uh, I saw she rode in the Pelotonia a couple of years ago. She took dance for a while. Like, I think I'm just amazed the things that they come up with and that they can do. If you're listening to this podcast right now, Google rotation plasty. It is one of the most insane medical procedures I've ever seen. It's crazy. Who thought of that? I have no idea. And I was never even offered that, but I'm kind of okay with it because I feel like it's a little crazy to have a backwards foot at the bottom of your knee. Like, I don't, I don't know if I would honestly want that because it's such a, like visually, it's just like a wild thing. And then it's like retraining your foot to move in a different way because now it's your knee. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, she's super mobile and and all things. Okay. So did you always have like um a passion for film and video? Like what what was your start into moving into this realm? Yeah, that's a great question. So, uh, growing up, my, my brothers and I, we would make these home movies. It was like, it was like a single home movie that we made over the course of years. Uh, and it was like this movie about like Russia and spies and commando missions and going to war. And I'll never forget 
you know, you, you gather all your friends for the day, you plan it, you'd script it. Then you'd go and you'd shoot these little tiny bite-sized pieces, you know, each individual shot making the scene. And then after the day was over and you were exhausted, you'd put it into the computer. And then we, we found this sound effects pack from, uh, it was like one of the original call of duty games on PC that if you like went into the file directory, they just had all the sounds. So like every gunshot, every like musical score, every, um, you know, just like the sound of wind, the sound of, you know, bombs going off in the distance. And so we kind of had this giant package of effects and then we would, you know, you, you line the clips up, you put the music underneath, you put the sound effects and just the magic that happened of like watching it. And you're like, we created this thing, this thing that was an idea all of a sudden is a real scene and it looks good and it sounds good and it looks cool. And like all of us wearing our costumes, it's like sort of believable. And I'll never forget kind of the, the magic of that moment. And so like I had cancer and I started doing a lot of public speaking, kind of like Pelotonia. And for, for a while that was just kind of like sort of my job. Like I wasn't really going to school. I, uh, was like occasionally speaking here and there, like I'd get paid to, you know, come out to something like some pharmaceutical company would pay me five grand to give a motivational speech at their sales conference or something. Yeah. And it was this weird juxtaposition where my actual life was not great. I was like a new amputee. I wasn't working. I wasn't going to school. I wasn't like working towards anything. I didn't have like higher aspirations other than just like, surviving i lived in this like kind of janky one bedroom apartment i smoked a lot of weed and it was just this like weird juxtaposition where like that was one part of my life of like kind of poor kind of destitute and then it'd be like cool we're gonna fly you to arizona and you're gonna get picked up in a private car and deliver a motivational speech on how to live life and it was just this weird thing where I'm like, yo, I'm not living a good life. Like this feels weird for me to yeah. pretend to be the voice of reason when my life is kind of in shambles. And so I ended up giving a TEDx talk in 2012, I think. And I ended up meeting a filmmaker named Thaddeus. And so we got to know each other. He had just bought a brand new slick camera and him and I hit it off and we started making videos together and created this one that ended up going viral. And that kind of just like launched us as an entity. Cause once, once you show you can make any type of video or anything in the creative world, once you like have proof of concept, then people will say, we want our version of that. So we created this video and like the Denver nuggets came to us. Uh, Metropolitan State University came to us and they, we had never done a client project. We'd never budgeted a project, never done anything. And the nuggets were like, cool, pitch us. And so there was this kind of crazy trial by fire, fire learning period that we went through of just like how to be a professional creative that works with clients. And so that was really kind of how that transition happened 
And so then it's like, I started doing video work, which is an actual skill set. Whereas I felt like speaking was just, I'm Woody. I have cancer. I'm an amputee. And I'm just going to kind of be a big personality on stage, which to me doesn't feel like a very sustainable or I don't know, like worth, I, I, I guess not worthwhile because people take something from, but it wasn't like, like with, with film and photography, it's like, this is a skill set I've been building for the last decade. And I feel like I have tried really hard to develop this skill set. I've invested a lot of time and energy and effort into this skill set. And it's like, I'm a lot more proud of this than just like being the guy on stage who has cancer. Okay. No, I love this. So this is like a tricky question for our listeners, but so you didn't go to college for this? No. So I, uh, I went to Metropolitan State University of Denver, which is a little commuter school in Denver. And, uh, I think it's funny. I was, I went there for like two and a half, three years, but because of cancer, I'd take semesters off. I, you know, it was just, you know, cause you'd be in the middle of the semester and be like, cool, you have cancer in your lungs and you need like a surgery that's going to put you on the couch for two weeks. And so I think at this point right now, like, what do you need? 120 credits to graduate? I have no idea. I think I have like 38 credits and my GPA is like 2.3 or something. Just like, you, you know, and so I, I think my reason for asking is because, I mean, I went to college, but I feel like it's not for everyone. And I feel like if you can figure out and hone in like who you are and what, and listen, I'm not saying, so my, the daughter that was good friends that I talked about earlier, I feel like she's in that phase where she's trying to figure out what she's supposed to do in life. And I don't know if college is that for her. And I'm totally 100% okay with that. I feel like if you can figure out what it is, and obviously you became educated in what your passion was by figuring it out, by doing multiple projects, probably by researching a little bit, because you had to figure out how to do certain things. I'm sure Mm -hmm. a lot of it was trial by fire, right? Yeah. Yeah. YouTube university, man. I feel like YouTube so, University. <laughs> so many times a client would be like, Hey, can you do this? And I Google and be like, sure. Like, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. And it, and it, and it was really a, a great atmosphere. Cause it was like, we were being paid to, to educate ourselves, you know, is that each, each project was a, was a data point that, you know, it was like, okay, like we, you know, and here's one thing I tell a lot of like creatives that are just getting started is like the, the actual art, it's just assumed that you're good at that. Like the actual being a professional is all the other parts of it. Like the whole client process of making them feel good about writing you a check and walking them through the process so that you're not feeling taken advantage of like all of those skills. That's the actual job. Like the video part is just assumed that you're good at that. But like, if you actually want to be successful, you need to be good at like all the other things that surround it. Right. Because you're really selling yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is sales in a little bit of a way. So when you first got these first projects, then did you have to figure out like, do you still work with him? So we worked together for about a year and a half and then we went our separate ways. 
Okay. And so that was right around the time when uh, I met Mackenzie. So we went our separate ways. And yeah. so been kind of flying solo. I feel like one of my big takeaways from that business relationship is that like we formed a partnership, we formed this company together. And I think if it was, if we didn't form the partnership, I think we would have worked together longer. I think once we kind of like were married, it was like every single project, every single day, we, we were kind of like forced to work together it just kind of puts some unnecessary stress on the relationship. I mean, you hear about all the time with bands breaking up and I feel like I have, I can appreciate that relationship and that experience. Cause that's kind of like what we went through is it was just this really intense creative atmosphere for like a year and a half. And I'm super grateful for that relationship and that time. Cause it was just this like crazy, like it really did feel like anything if you had like the right idea that we could do anything in the world. Cause it was like, we're doing stuff for the nuggets and we're doing, we're like flying to Europe and it just like the amount of like potential that I felt in that period of my life. That was just like the faster you learn this, the faster you can like go out and do anything. And so it was just like this fire hose of information that we were consuming like at all times. Yeah, I listened to how we built this, the podcast, and it's about companies like, and a lot of them that I listened to, if there's two people that started it together, they're no, it's not both of them any longer. Because I just think that the pressure and the decisions and the, cre- I mean, you guys were doing creative, creative mm-hmm. starts to go different ways. And I think that's just part of it really, in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough relationship. And when I see people who have made it work, I feel like one thing I do notice is that there's like a very clear delineation between the roles. Whereas like with my business partner and I, it was, it was kind of like, it was a very like hazy where it's just like, we're, we both like hanging out together and working together and like, let's, you know, let's do this together. Whereas, you know, I see, I see some businesses where it's like, here's the creative guy, here's the operations side and like they are they have their world and like one of them has a over you know their own specific realm and the other one has been like weigh in but like ultimately each person has their you know their expertise okay so it looks like you and Mackenzie travel a lot is that part of your job and what you do or do you just like checking out things here and there yeah, so I think one of the reasons I really like video and photography is it's a skill set that travels really well. Yeah. And so any kind of like any chance I have to to travel somewhere for a video project, I love to to jump at. So one one big one, uh, uh, I work with a really talented producer in Denver named Seth Goldstein. And uh, him and I have gone to East Africa, I think four times now for this one uh, uh, video or this, uh, it's a concert series that's put on by this Denver-based nonprofit called the Global Livingston Institute. And they put on these giant music festivals in East Africa, and they also throw a health fair at the same time. So it'll be like the most famous East African musicians, plus like HIV testing and, you know, all sorts of other health services. And so they just need people to get those assets into, um, take pictures and film. And so that's been, that's been a great project. I've really enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, br- more broadly, yeah, Mac and I, we just like to, 
we like to travel a whole lot and any chance we can to, to hit the road and, you know, try some interesting food. I mean, I don't know if you can see my shirt, but I'm uh, wearing my Anthony Bourdain shirt. Who's like my uh, number one spirit animal. I love that. Okay. So I obviously know who he is and I feel so bad. What happened? Do you, why is he your spirit animal? Man. Cause so I really, I really appreciate cooking. Um, I have, uh, for all your listeners out there, I have a, um, a food focus Instagram page, my food focus alter ego. That's at young Manchego on Instagram. I had no idea. Oh yeah. Check out young Manchego. And so it's like, I love food. I love travel. Like, I feel like my, my big three, like my Mount Rushmore, I think Mount Rushmore is four, but my big three I'd say are like Anthony Bourdain, Hunter S. Thompson and Indiana Jones. And so, you know, it's like all three of them. There's a lot of Venn diagrams of like travel, food, adventure, just kind of like getting, getting lost in the world. And uh, yeah, Anthony Bourdain, RIP to a real one. Very sad when he died. Um, But yeah, just his, his curiosity and his, you know, his ability to, to look at the world and, uh, you know, to, to see the connective tissue between different things. I really appreciated. No, that's amazing. So, um, was Michelle Champ and her and her husband sold all their belongings, cars, house, et cetera. And they travel with their six and eight year old travel the world. They've been to 80 countries. Wow. They, they do world schooling. Like that's how they are going to raise their children. Their children are bilingual magic. Like I love, I love travel in general, but I'm going to totally check out your food focused Instagram. What's your like number one spot? Like if you got, let's say uh, you got a ticket from United that was like, Hey, you just got a $2,000 flight credit. Where do you go? Okay, so I was supposed to go to Africa. I really, really want to go to Africa. Where like, where in Africa? Maybe like Tanzania. Tammy Longaberger, she was mm-hmm. a part of the Longaberger company. Um, I worked for her and she travels to Africa. Well, she did before pandemic. Under Bush, he put her under um, to help women's rights and voting. So she started traveling to the Middle East and Africa all the time. And mm-hmm. she asked me if I would go with her. So she asked me if I would go and do, you know, some projects with women's rights. She was like, you're, we're, you're, we're not staying anywhere amazing. Like, you know what I mean? She's like, it, it's not what you would normally think I would travel. Um, but I was so excited to go. And then everything blew up. I would love to go to Greece. I've never been to Greece. I heard it's beautiful. Mm, that's a good one. Where's your number one spa- place? Mackenzie and I were planning on going to Tokyo for the Tokyo Olympics. And so that was a real bummer that that got shut down. We did uh, we did our honeymoon in Japan. Uh, so, so my I'd love to go- uncle, number one is they travel all over. Their number one is Japan. And they yeah, love- it's just, it's incredible. It's, it's one of the most like, unique and interesting places I've ever been. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to travel around the rest of, uh, Asia. I'd love to check out, uh, South Korea. I think it would be really fun, man. We, uh, we went to Mexico city a few years ago and I would, as far as food cities go, I would put Mexico city 
at the same tier as like Paris and Tokyo that you can just get the most incredible meal you've ever had so many places in Mexico city. So I'd love to go back there. We've been bopping around Costa Rica a little bit uh, and I'd love to spend some more time in Costa Rica. They just have the quality of life like dialed in. Yeah. I loved Costa Rica. Okay. So when you choose places to eat, like do you research before you go to Japan? Like how do you choose where you're going? My wife is an incredible planner. I feel like we have a good um, give and take, whereas I am a little bit more uh, spontaneous and she is a little bit more, you know, she likes to plan and have things uh, scheduled. But I, I found that like when you have like certain things planned, then that really gives more room for spontaneity. Whereas if your plan is spontaneity, it's a lot of pressure to just, you know, find these fun moments. So usually when we're going someplace, she will do the research of like, okay, this is a top tier restaurant. We have reservations like Saturday at 8 PM. We are going to this place and it's going to be tight. Just from the short conversation, like your relationship sounds super successful and amazing. Like if you had to give three tips on how you work so well together, what would they be? Ooh, great question. Um, Let's see. Uh, I feel like I can tell that you like see all of her strengths and her amazing points and you, it sounds like work, live, travel, all the things amazingly well together. Um, I think like the whole love languages thing of like figuring out someone's love languages and like how they like to be loved and how they express their love. I feel like, like knowing that is good and helpful. Yeah. I think also just like the, the longer we've spent together, it's like knowing what her strengths are and like, you know, I feel like there've been times where I've been kind of like this, like control freak where it's like, things need to be my way. But like realizing like what she's really good at and like the things that like things to just say yes to, you know, it's like where she's, she's excited about this thing. Just like, it's a yes. Cause like she has put like the thought and effort and like, I trust her to, you know, I trust her. And so, yeah, that's not a very succinct point. No, listen, I'm a big love language girl. Like I, I what's your love language? Um, time and affirmation. I have this like weird problem where my love language is all of them all of the time. <laughs> Listen, so now I need to give major perks to Mackenzie. <laughs> yes. Major perks to she's Mackenzie. Dealing, she's dealing with a lot. I'm like, I need gifts, words of affirmation, physical yeah. touch. Like, let's go. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I do love figuring out, like, even because I have four kids, like, I know what their love language oh, yeah. is are and you know for especially for kids like it's not necessarily that it's a gift but it's like who bought who bought me this milk and I'm like when they were little you know what I mean and I'd be like oh Mm. their thing is get like they think that that's giving them something but no I definitely those are the things I thrive off of okay so your favorite project you ever got to do is it I mean you said that you love the project in East Africa because you got to travel there but was that your favorite project that came together and that you did um it's got to be at the top I mean I think as far as just like interesting life experiences being able to 
Cause I think at this point, you know, between the four trips, I think I've spent about like two or three months in Uganda and Rwanda. And so I feel like I just got a ton of love for that region and just having like, you know, a project leading to friendships leading to, you know, just kind of like the, all the random little cross pollination that happens when like, you're just like in a sprinter van, you know, driving across Uganda with like fellow filmmakers who are you like, just like the interesting things that can happen and that can come from that uh, is, you know, super fun. So yeah, I'd say I, I put that at the top. Okay. Top I don't know if this is a good question, but okay. So as a film, someone that's filming, I mean, it sounds like at certain moments, like some of it's put together and I'm sure scripted and whatnot. But when you do a trip like that, like what is your intent? Like, are you thinking about the person's story or capturing a certain like image so that they, people can see like what, or is every project different? Yeah, it really depends. I mean, I think like the first time we went out there, the goal was to create a video that just kind of encapsulates the whole event. And then the next year it was like, okay, let's dial in. Let's like tell a more specific story of like, you know, our, one of our partnerships we have. Um, and so it, each year is a, a little bit different. Um, but there always is kind of like, what is like the main thing that we're trying to come out of this with? And then you just reverse engineer that down into, you know, your shot list that's composed of like interviews and, you know, we're going to this village to talk to this person because they're going to offer this perspective and we're going to go here to do, you know, and then it just, it all comes together that way. Okay. Only two more questions. So one, I've always heard, you know, if you love what you do, you don't ever work a day in your life. I've heard that. Right. Um, But then I feel like there is something tricky about when you take your passion and like what you love and it becomes a job and it becomes your day that it can become, it's a job, right? A job is a job is a job. So Mm -hmm. do you feel like your love for filmmaking and production and everything that you do is still, you're really passionate about it still in the same Um, way? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I like to tell people that like, film is more my job and photography is more my hobby because like photography is just so much easier. Like if you think about all the things that go into a video project, it's like so much planning, so many people post-production getting the tone right in the edit. It's just like a video project is much stickier and slower. Whereas like a photo project is just like, here's like a wacky idea. Like we're going to go into a field with like a reflector and you're going to dress like a mummy. And then it's like, cool. Da, 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 take a bunch of pictures. Here are the photos. It's over. It's done. You know, that like, it's, it's much easier to like experiment and play around with film. And so I think that's one way of kind of finding that balance. Cause definitely like, you know, clients, like I am my own boss, but like ultimately whoever is writing me a check is my boss. And so yeah. It's just like, I kind of have like bosses that come and go very often and some are great and some are just terrible and don't know how to give notes and don't know how to receive feedback and don't know how to, 
you know, contextualize their creative vision into, you know, a mood board or something. So it's, it's really, a, you know, I, I feel very fortunate that each project is so finite that, you know, it's like, I've thought about taking like a full-time job somewhere. Um, but just the thought of like kind of constantly always being on one thing, like that sounds kind of suffocating to me. Whereas I really love the opportunity to dip my head into like all these different things. So for instance, like right now at this current moment, I am working on a pilot for a food travel show. That's um, I'm so working- up your alley. I mean, how could you pick a more perfect project for you? Totally. So I'm really excited for that one. I think it's going to be really fun. I'm also working with an education company. You know, they're trying to do some interesting things in the education space and they're, they want to get really creative with their videos. And so that like gives me the opportunity to try some new things. And, you know, so it's like being able to just like do these completely random things. Uh, it's like, and then I, I have other clients where they just want headshots, you know? And so I'm just, you know, talking to, talking to random people, taking their photos, ability to do multiple things at multiple times to, you know, it's like for this food travel show, it was like, okay, let's watch a bunch of Anthony Bourdain and let's watch a bunch of guys grocery games and let's see what techniques they use and how we can take what we like and lean into some things and lean away from other things. And, you know, like the puzzle pieces I find very, uh, very fun to always be around them. I uh, have this comedy project I've been working on for the past couple of years with my good fa- friend and creative collaborator, Chad Neat, and it's called The D-League. And we uh, put out comedic sketches, so like little comedic short films. For a long time, we're doing one a month. And so I think we did like two straight years of putting out a sketch every month. Um, and so that's much more the like, you know, it's like, I have my corporate paying clients that keep the lights on, but this is much more the like creative sandbox to experiment with different techniques and different, uh, styles and lighting and jokes and all those things. So definitely check out the D league as well. Okay. We'll totally check out the D league. Okay. Not going back to your motivational speaking days, because I know that that wasn't true to who you, I feel like you much more have found your way, but if you were going to leave everyone with one thought of something that you have learned and it doesn't even matter when it could be from your last project or something that you just feel like a life lesson. I think a good one is if it's not a fuck, yes, it's a no. And I feel like this just, it applies to everything. Like, yeah. You know, if, if you're in the dressing room and you're trying on a shirt and it's not a fuck yes, like don't buy the shirt. If you're dating yeah. someone and you're thinking about marriage and it's not a fuck yes, don't marry that person. Like, you know, lean into the things that you are just like enthusiastic about beyond belief. Okay. I love that. That was perfect. I feel like I need to think about if I can put that as a quote on the actual Instagram, like we cuss and say all things on here, but I feel like I'd like to just put fuck. Yes. If it's a fuck. Yes. It's a yes. I yeah. love that. I'm going to start using implying that to my everyday life as well. I think that's probably it's a, a good one. I can't, I can't take credit for that. That's a Mark Manson quote. I love Mark Manson. Yeah. He's a good one. Thanks so much to Woody for joining us. It was amazing to hear your story. Totally inspirational. 
And if you'd like to find him on the interwebs, you can find him woodyroseland.com on Instagram at young.manchego and at League of the D. Those will also be in the show notes if you want to click those links. And you can always click the link to become a part of the Greener Grass family. Subscribe to us and you'll get all of our breaking news. Thanks to Asa Watkins for post-production. And if you would honor us with a five-star rating and a review anywhere you get your podcasts, it really helps other people find us more easily. And thanks for being here. We really appreciate you. This is Greener Grass. Greener Grass.